He is risen. Amen. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 is on page 1061. If you are using one of the Bibles that we provide underneath the chairs, Matthew chapter 28, we'll read about Matthew's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our King and our Savior. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me while they were going. Behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests and all, or all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this morning, for what it represents. We thank you for the resurrection of your son, our Lord and King, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you just help us to see the glory of the Lord Jesus in this passage about his resurrection, that you would work in our hearts so that we would leave here forever changed, so that we would leave here believing and experiencing the power of the resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2.2 billion. 2.2 billion. That's the number of people that currently claim to be a follower of Jesus on this planet. 2.2 billion. That's nearly a third of the world's population. 
And what's amazing is studies show that since the resurrection, there's really never been any less Christians. Year after year, more and more people all around the world put their faith, put their trust in the resurrected Christ, Jesus Christ. 2.2 billion people. And while, yes, some studies are showing that in Europe or in America here, there are less and less people claiming to be followers of Jesus, but that's the anomaly. Around the world, more and more people in Africa, in Asia, in South America, every year, more and more people are finding their ultimate hope and their ultimate joy in a relationship with God through faith in Christ. Why? Why 2.2 billion people and counting? And we see some of those reasons in here this morning when we think about the resurrection. Because ultimately, when we believe in the resurrected Christ, our lives are forever changed. That's one of the things that we see in this passage and we see all through the scriptures. That when we believe in the resurrected Christ, our lives are forever changed. That's why so many people continue to trust in him. So we're going to talk about that this morning, how our lives are forever changed when we believe in the resurrected Christ by talking about three things. Number one, how Jesus adjusts our expectations. We see their expectations, uh, the expectations of his followers are, are tremendously adjusted in this passage. We'll talk about how there's ample evidence for us to believe in the resurrection and experience its power. And third, we'll talk about not only how there's adjusted expectations and ample evidence, but also how when we trust in Jesus, life doesn't get easier, so to speak, but it does become an amazing endeavor. So those three things this morning are adjusted expectations, ample evidence, and the amazing endeavor of following Jesus. Let's talk about adjusted expectations. I mean, look at, look at what's happening here. You've got Jesus' followers expect that Jesus is dead. They expect that his body is still in the tomb. So you see these women going to the tomb and they're going to finish the burial preparations that they weren't able to finish on Good Friday. They expect that he's dead. They had seen the horrific way in which he died. They had seen him laid in that tomb. And so, of course, like any normal person, they're assuming, they're expecting to find that Jesus is dead, even though he told them that he would rise from the dead. And that's just like us like that you can see that we're a lot like these women and everybody who was surprised by the resurrection because you know when we see something tragic happen when we see something bad happen or when we make some huge mistake in our life we tend to think that's it everything is ruined it's over we tend to think that tragic situations mean permanent damage for us it makes me think of this colin hay song it's one of the saddest songs i've ever heard and uh, he's talking about how he's lost somebody now he's never going to get over them. And he repeats a few times in the song. He says, and if I live till I was a hundred and two, I just don't think I'd ever get over you. So sad, right? And that's how we feel. We feel like when something tragic happens, there's permanent damage. Which is why Jesus' followers, when they saw him, in two different places in this passage alone, we see that when they saw him and they believed that he had been resurrected, they worshipped. Their response to seeing him alive again was worship because he had completely adjusted their expectations for life and for God. 
and for their future. Because now what they'd seen is something that was tragic, has been undone. And in the resurrection, they were able to see Jesus' power to restore and to rebuild and to redeem. That's what happens when we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Our expectations of what's to come are adjusted fundamentally because we know for certain that no matter what happens in life, Jesus has the power to redeem. He has the power to make things right. And so instead of living feeling like there's been permanent damage when something bad happens to us or when we make a huge mistake, instead we live with permanent hope. Because we are loved and cared for by the one who has the power to come back from the dead. So we have adjusted expectations. We also then see that there's ample evidence. Another reason that our lives are changed is because there's ample and ongoing evidence. This is something that a lot of unchurched or non-believing people tend to misunderstand about Christianity. A lot of times people say, well, Christians just have blind faith. It's irrational. It's illogical. But actually, it's not. God doesn't call us to go on blind faith. He calls us to look at the evidence. In fact, look in the passage here. In verse 6, when the angel tells the women that Jesus is not there, that he's risen from the dead, he then tells them to examine the evidence. He says, come, see the place where he lay. In other words, the angel's telling these women, go look. Look for yourselves. Examine the evidence. It's the same tomb. These are the same guards. Except now they're laying on the ground trembling. And there's this invitation to examine the evidence. And that is something that still exists today. And we should. We should look at the evidence. And there's really three big sources of evidence for us. Number one, we have God's word that tells us that Jesus truly did rise from the dead. That's the most important evidence. But we also have the historical record. And it's interesting because if you really look at the evidence... Scholars, both Christian and non-Christian, do argue that there is pretty substantial evidence for an actual physical resurrection of Jesus. Give you some examples. Number one, all the eyewitness accounts. We have eyewitness accounts of people seeing Jesus, that he had died, and then they saw him again and he was alive. We see some of those in this passage, that he appeared to these women, then he appeared to his disciples, In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul tells us that at one point Jesus appeared to over 500 people at once. And he also goes on to insinuate that if anybody wanted to go ask some of those people if it's true, they could, at least back then when he wrote that letter. And so you got all these eyewitness accounts of people who saw Jesus alive again, fully alive. What we don't have is evidence that refutes that. We don't have... Uh, letters or, or documentation of people saying, no, it's not true, they're lying. And if you had a bunch of people that claimed to see Jesus alive and it was a lie, somebody would have said something. And so scholars agree that that is pretty strong evidence for an actual resurrection, that you have all these eyewitness accounts. Another one is the fact that women were the first to witness the resurrection. Okay, Things have come a long way Ladies, but you should be aware, if you're not already, that in the first century, women were not seen as credible sources. They weren't even allowed to testify in court. So scholars agree that if you're going to make something up and hope that some news of some event would spread, the last thing you would do would be to say that women were the first ones to witness it. 
because people wouldn't have believed it. So once again, that leans towards an actual resurrection. The story must have been true for it to continue to spread. Uh, Third, the suffering of the apostles. One of the things that history tells us, and even in the scriptures as well, is that the Jesus disciples, as they went from him to make disciples, they, they suffered tremendously. They suffered in so many different ways. The remaining apostles were beaten, they were thrown in jail, they were tortured, they were whipped, they were martyred. It said that the apostle Peter was crucified upside down. It said that the apostle James was thrown from the fifth story of some building. And the powerful thing about this is, in all these different cases, these men could have avoided that suffering, could have avoided that death if they would have simply said, okay, it's not true, we made it up. But they wouldn't do that. They were 100% convinced that they had seen the risen Christ, the resurrected Christ, and therefore they were willing to go through whatever it took to continue to advance that message. And all scholars agree that it's very, very unlikely that people would suffer that much for something they knew was a lie. There actually is a lot of evidence from the historical record. There's even more than that that's available. But a third thing that's really powerful, a really powerful source of evidence, is the continued transformation in the lives of believers. It's really powerful evidence for what happens in someone's life when they believe in the resurrected Christ. That their life is not changed just one time when they first believe, but it's changed over and over again He continues to renew. He continues to restore. And it's true that not everybody who claims to be a follower of Jesus takes him very seriously and doesn't pursue obedience as they should and therefore they don't experience a whole lot of his transformation. But there are so many around the world who are experiencing this ongoing renewal and transformation that flows from the power of believing in the resurrected Christ. I mean, we see it here. If you're a guest with us, you should know that we see marriages restored here. We see people who were addicted to drugs getting set free from that here. We see people who were very lonely being befriended and having community and even a family here. We see all sorts of relationships that were damaged being restored all through the power of the resurrection. We see lives changing. In fact, even personally, I'll tell you, um, I'm, I've been so excited about today. I don't know. I've been thinking about the way another thing that God has done in my life in the last year or so. Some of you may remember that about a year ago, I was really wrestling with anger. And the reason that you knew that your pastor was angry is because I told you, right? It was kind of an awkward moment for us. But we, uh, I, I knew that there's power in Jesus' name. There's power in the resurrection. And, and I was experiencing all this anger and it was affecting my home life, it was affecting my job, it was affecting lots of relationships, I wanted to be free from it. And so, as Jesus tells us, when we confess to one another and trust in him, he sets us free from these things, I I confessed it to friends, I also told all of you, and uh, I'm just really celebrating today because he has done another amazing work in my life. Do I still get angry? Yeah, here and there, but not like before, not like I was. He has really delivered me from that, and I praise him, I thank him for that. He's done it again. And so we see that, that ongoing transformation 
in the life of believers. It's also evidence of the power of believing in the resurrected Christ. So he adjusts our expectations. He gives us ample evidence and ongoing evidence of his resurrection. And third, uh, he sets us on an amazing endeavor. An amazing endeavor. If you look, when you see at the end of the passage, Jesus meets with his disciples. And they fall down and they worship him, right? It says uh, in verse 17, they, they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted, which means that some were worshiping him, but they were still kind of freaking out because they knew he was dead a few days ago. But then what it says is that he sends them. Look at this. Call this the Great Commission. Verse 18 says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is what we see in the lives of his followers here is that they're sent on this amazing endeavor. Does life get easier? No. In many ways it becomes harder, but it is an amazing endeavor. Number one, look at that last verse again. Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always. This is one of those verses that kind of sums up the Christian life in one verse. Life with Jesus. Life with the resurrected Jesus Christ in relationship with him, knowing that he's with us at all times, that we're never alone. Whatever happens, whether we win or lose or sink or swim or live or die, we are with Christ. That's part of what makes following Jesus an amazing endeavor. And the other part is that we get to be involved in telling the world the good news, the amazing news of what Jesus has done on behalf of sinners like us. That we get to have the tremendous purpose of being the heralds, the ones who tell this lost and dying world that there is good news and there is redemption in Christ. That's what he does. He sends them to make disciples, to teach people about what he's really done and to show them how to live a life with him. To tell the world that there is good news. Not good advice, good news. And that that news changes our lives forever. Around here when we talk about what is the good news, what, what has really happened because of the death and resurrection of Christ. We talk a lot about freedom. That he has set people free. Free from the penalty of sin. Free from the power of sin. And one day he's going to return and set us free from the very presence of sin. He sets people free from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin. And one day from the very presence of sin. This is the good news. What does it mean to be set free from the penalty of sin? See, the Bible says something that's very offensive to us in our natural state. It says that we're all sinners and we all deserve to be punished by God for that sin eternally in hell. That's what it says. We don't like that. That's why it's such good news to find out that what Jesus has done has liberated people who believe in him has set us free from the penalty that we deserve to pay for our sin. In Colossians 1, 14, Paul says that in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that for our sake he made him 
who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And what he's saying there is what's happening on the cross is God has taken all of his people's sin and placed it onto Jesus. And then he took all of Jesus's perfect righteousness that he earned in his life and placed it into our account. And so we're set free from the penalty of sin. Doesn't mean we're simply forgiven and kind of brought to zero as far as an account of righteousness is concerned, but actually goes beyond zero into the positive that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That when God looks at us, he sees us clothed, wrapped in the righteousness that Christ earned in his life. And so we know that we'll never experience condemnation from God. We know that we'll never pay the penalty that we deserve to pay for our sin. He sets us free from the penalty of our sin. He also sets us free from the power of sin. When we really trust in the resurrected Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, empowering us to do things that lead to good things, that lead to true blessing and joy, instead of the things that we're stuck in that that keep leading to our misery. The power of the Holy Spirit, applying the resurrection of Christ to our heart, continually changes us. Paul says in Galatians 5 that if we live by the Spirit, we live relying on the power of the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, we will not do those things that keep leading us into misery. We're transformed. We get this new heart and we're able to obey, which leads to love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. All these beautiful things decorate our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, applying the power of the resurrection. So we have power over sin, so we're not stuck in these ruts. Set free from the penalty of sin, set free from the power of sin. And one day when Jesus returns, he's going to set us free from, even from the presence of sin. Listen to this. I love this in Revelation 21. It's the future. The future for those of us who trust Jesus in this life. John says he saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw a holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. What this means that when we trust in Jesus, really trust in Jesus, we can be certain that when we die and live in the next life, we will live in the new heavens and new earth where Jesus has made all things new and removed all the causes of sin and misery. So we won't live anymore in a place where there's war. There won't be any more war or terrorism or poverty. There won't be any more disease. There won't be any more pain and suffering. There won't be any more divorce or anxiety. There won't be any body issues. There won't be anything, any any chronic pain or things that cause people to be sad or to mourn or to cry. It's all going to be gone and we will live in the presence of Christ made perfect along with everyone else who has also trusted Christ and been made perfect for all eternity. Sounds too good to be true, but it's not. It is true. And life with Jesus is an amazing endeavor because we get to be the people who continually tell the world this good news that there's freedom from. 
the penalty of sin. There's freedom from the power of sin. And there's that promise of freedom one day from even the presence of sin and misery. And the best part is it's free, right? It's all free. This is what the, the good news of the gospel. It's not about something that we do. It's about what Jesus has done. That's why we worship him, because he has secured this for us in his death and resurrection on the cross. We receive the salvation by grace through faith. Jesus calls us to repent and believe. Repent is turning away from godlessness and sin. Believing is trusting him with our lives, letting him rule over our lives, trusting that he is leading us to this new heavens and new earth, and it's all for free. And our lives are this endeavor of telling people this wonderful Wonderful news. And not only do we have the freedom from the penalty and the power and one day the presence of sin, but we, we become children of God. Look again at verse 10, if you still have your Bible open. I love how Jesus says, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Right there, he's telling them their identity. They are We are his brothers and sisters. We belong to God. We are his children. Which helps us understand the cross and the resurrection. Because what wouldn't a parent do for their beloved children? I read a story about uh, an earthquake in China. And it had knocked down several buildings. And while the rescue workers were sifting through the rubble looking for any survivors. At one point, they were in this one building and they could hear breathing behind some rubble. And so they started to shout, Hello, are you in there? There was no response. So they just started carefully taking away more and more pieces of the rubble, trying to make sure that the building didn't further collapse. And they'd stop every once in a while and they'd listen. They could still hear the breathing. Pretty soon, they were able to expose a window through this uh, kind of wall and they could see in, they could see a woman kind of slumped over. And so they started calling to her saying, hello, can you hear us? Take our hand. But she wasn't moving. But they could hear the breathing. So they, they moved a little more rubble and they, they got through into the room where she was. And as soon as they got to her, they kind of picked her up and they realized immediately that she was dead. The breathing was coming from her infant son who she had protected with her body. Her infant son who was wrapped up in her arms. And when the crashing building came down upon her, it took her life. But by giving her life, she saved this child. And they found her cell phone wrapped in the clothing with the little baby. And she had written a note to her son. She had written this note. If you survive, you must know that I love you. And of course, you know, that kid, every day of his life, he never has any question about whether his mom loved him. She's willing to give her life for him. And as followers of Jesus, as believers in the resurrected Christ, we are children of God. And he was willing to come and to die for us. 
so that wherever we are and whatever we're doing at any moment of any given day, we can stop and say, I know that he loves me. The resurrection is true. And if we truly believe it, it changes our lives forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the good news of resurrection. Thank you for the way we are promised to rise again. Thank you for the way you change lives. Thank you for the 2.2 billion people and counting who know you and love you. We worship you now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.